welcome, welcome, welcome to this. It's not wabbit season, it's almost duck season version of the Game Fishing Parks Podcast and Blast. I am your host, communication specialist Chris Hall. Got uh, communication manager Nick Harrington sitting in the shotgun seat with me. I, I am getting ready for wabbit season, I guess. <laughs> I, I, I thought... I thought we were talking about ducks on I, this one. I gotta, I gotta remember that Rocco, that Nick is young and he might not have watched Bugs Bunny. I have. Oh, gotcha. We had a very spirited conversation <laughs> regarding my watching of The Wizard of Oz yes, yesterday. yesterday. And what other one have I not seen? Old Yeller. Old Yeller. Yeah. So apologies to the audience on that front, but that's all, folks. Right. I know, I know <laughs> Bugs good. Bunny. We've got another recurring guest with us today, uh, Rocco Morano, our senior waterfowl biologist based out of the beautiful town of Brookings. How are we doing today, Rocco? Doing great, Chris. Yeah, thanks for thanks for having me. Hey, before we get into it, give us a little bit of your background, where you went to school, family, that kind of stuff, what you like to do, just, just because it's been a while. Absolutely. Originally from Huron, South Dakota, uh, born and raised. I went to college in, in Brookings, SDSU, for both my undergrad and my master's degree. Uh, luckily, made it back because I love the Brookings area and uh, took over the reins for senior waterfall biologist back in fall 2010. Um, yeah. Got to uh, live, live on a little acreage down by Lake Campbell with uh, three kids and, and uh, wife down there. Lots of lots of animals and love to go out and enjoy the outdoors with them. And you just turned uh, 29 recently, right, Rocco? Exactly. Awesome. Something like that. <laughs> hey, Rocco, just uh, to, to get off track, because that's what we do. When you do your master's, you have to do like a thesis or a project. What did you do yours on? So my, just, uh, my thesis was actually involved with Canadian duck banding operations up in Alberta. Um, the, there was a cooperative banding operation uh, with the Fish and Wildlife Service and, and U.S. and uh, Canadian Wildlife Service. And my project was looking at trying to improve trapping efficiency for duck banding operations. How long were you up there and where were you? So I was at Medicine Hat, Alberta for three right August, um, 2002, three and four. And because uh, the banding season generally runs a month. Sure. Um, and then when I was back in Brookings, I, I was a teaching assistant and a graduate assistant. Cool. So you never got to go to a, like a really good Canadian hockey game being August, but you might have made a a, a Canadian football league game. Oh, which, yeah. And I've been to and they are wild. They're so much fun. I didn't make one, but uh, but yeah, I've heard they're crazy. Yeah. I want to get back to duck banding later, uh, Rocco. But the reason we are here is to talk about a duck hunting option. Um, it's gone by a few names, three splash, but we kind of refer to it now as the two-tiered duck duck hunting option or duck hunting license, I guess. Rocco, um, why don't you go into that a little bit and then then explain why, explain the why too. Yeah, you bet, Chris. So a number of years ago, uh, biologists in the Central Flyway specifically, you know, started to think about ways to address uh, declines in duck hunter numbers across the flyway and really across the country. Most states are seeing declines in duck hunter numbers. South Dakota is no exception. Uh, we've lost roughly half of our resident duck hunters since the late 90s, basically. Um, you know, basically an attrition rate of about 500 duck hunters a year. Um, and, it, you know, that that's an issue when you, with the North American model of wildlife management. You know, the user generates uh, funds and political support and uh, just general support for the resource. And if you lose that support, you're going to you 
potentially lose the resource in, in the end um, in the North American model of wildlife management. So we, we, we tried to find, you know, what are the variables that might be um, causing that decline and what variables do we have control over as an agency? You know, there's, all, there's, a, there's a host of things, whether it's time, other commitments, money, you know, places to hunt. There's all these different variables and we have control over some, we don't have control over others. And, you know, the, the potential for a barrier with duck identification for new hunters um, was identified. And actually we did a few human dimensions projects in the lead up to this and, and found that yes, people indicated that it was a barrier to participate. Um, some people have trouble identifying ducks on the wing. Some people have trouble identifying ducks in hand. And this, op this, this option basically allows you to have a, a lower bag limit but and to shoot three of any species or sex of duck um, during your your day and uh, without any you know any uh, worry of violation you can learn your ducks and and hopefully serve as a recruitment tool for new duck hunters. And, and Rocco, I mean, one thing just to to kind of elaborate on, you talk about losing duck hunters since the '90s, but it's not because of the opportunity out there, right? I mean, the duck hunting right. is still—we're kind of in the golden, the golden days of duck hunting, right? I mean, it's still oh, excellent hunting. Yeah, and, and that's and that's one of the big the big problems is that you know historically, let's say before the late '90s, you know, duck hunter numbers kind of ebbed and flowed with duck populations. That decoupled in the late '90s, where you had duck populations increase and hunter numbers can decrease. So that that's honestly why um, you know, at that time, you know, and through this through the current time, you know, agencies, biologists, even the, the North American Waterfowl Management Plan has now identified the human user as a co-equal, uh, basically objective with habitat and populations. That's a big deal. Um, you know, up until this, you know, a few years ago, that wasn't even part of the calculus, and and that's one of the reasons why this experiment was actually. Um, authorized by the Fish and Wildlife Service was to help to um, help to support that goal of the NAWAM. It it is interesting because you know I moved up here and and I don't buy a duck hunting license anymore because I don't know really know how to hunt the big water. Um, and there are some places to go around here to hunt sloughs and stuff, but I got spoiled. I grew up in Northeast South Dakota where you could turn around and there's a slough every you know. 150 yards in some places. Um, but it is interesting because if people want to hunt and really want to have a good opportunity at success, it, you know, it's not that difficult because if you get in those areas where there's good amounts of sloughs or temporary waters, or even if the migration's going on, if you go out and look around, um, man, there's chances are you're going to find good duck numbers on public ground that's easily accessible. Now, it is a little bit of work, but it, it's just kind of strange to me. I think it's, you know, we've talked about it. It's probably some of the boomers, they, you know, the aging population who are diehard duck hunters. But there's a whole generation now coming up that we've targeted, you know, like the the like the field, the fork kind of kids. And, and I use kids because I'm looking at Nick. Sorry, guys. But, uh, <laughs> but you know, with, with a dozen decoys and a, a pair of cheap waders, you know, you've got a really good opportunity to have, you know, not only a good hunt, but a really cool experience because it's a different kind of hunting than, than you know, waterfall hunting is kind of on its own. You know, it's a different kind of hunting. So it's it's an interesting experiment. And I and I, and I hope that you, you kind of showed us in, in this conversation that 
that this is making a difference. I do have one really funny duck ID story. I grew up a diver hunter, diehard diver hunter. I mean, I was shooting uh, bluebills and redheads and canvasbacks uh, up on Harborough's Pass up in Northeast South Dakota when I was eight. And my dad literally went to Doug Jones and said, Chris is going to be out hunting. He's going to shoot his own limit. And if you want to write him a ticket, here's right where we're going to be. And when you write us a ticket, next week he's going to be there hunting too. But uh, I was up with Lee Harstead, who's kind of a South Dakota legend, ran the the uh, Deadwood Chamber forever. And we were up in, up around Roslyn and we were boat hunting and set up and, and first, you know, squadron of ducks come through in the morning and, oh, yeah, they're bluebills. And boom, 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 and shoot three. And you could have two apiece then. And next squadron comes and boom, we shoot another one. And then we're sitting there waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting. And I think we shot a couple of widgeon or whatever. And. We're sitting in the boat and kind of looking at each other and talking and all these bluebills are just pouring in and we can't shoot them and we can't shoot them and we can't shoot them. And finally we kind of looked down and I'm looking at these ducks and I was like, these are ringbills. <laughs> I'm like, we can have, we can have five of these. <laughs> so then we proceeded to, you know, shoot about 30 times to fill our limit. But um, so it is, that is a tough, a tough thing, even for experienced folks, especially early in the season. You know, you get a duck in your hand, and is it a hen mallard? Is it a gadwell? Is it a, you know, is it a shovel nose or you know, or a, a spoonbill? I, you know, it's so that's a that's a big, big, big barrier, and I hope this kind of alleviates some of that. But yeah, absolutely. You know, and and like I said, it has been identified by by prospective duck hunters, and honestly current duck hunters you know there's a there's a fair number of current duck hunters in, in a preseason survey that we conducted that that said they have trouble identifying especially on the wing um and some in hand but you know and it, it, even in low light or or right. as mm -hmm. we're as also as we're finding um we'll talk about this a little more but some of the demographics that we're seeing uh participating in this in in this option you know there's actually a fair number of experienced older duck hunters that are choosing this specifically because their eyesight is starting to fail them Sure. And they feel more comfortable um, with a lower limit, but not having to worry about. Uh, and, that, and that's honestly something that I hadn't thought about very much going into this. Um, but I've had enough, I've had numerous hunters call me specifically to thank me for this option because they they know they know their ducks. It's not that they don't know their ducks, but they're not confident anymore, especially in low light with with aging eyes. Right. And so, so and that that gets more at, into the retention, you know, in, in R3. Of recruitment, retention, and reactivation. Well, recruitment is what we originally thought this was going to be, um, but it's also potentially going to help with retention um, as well, or reactivation. If maybe right. somebody maybe somebody quit because they they didn't they didn't think they could ID ducks anymore, and they might come out and do it again. Yeah, I can see you know like a diehard duck hunter who's hunted their whole lives and takes the pride in that, and it would take one time where they miss id to duck and they're looking down and they're going god now i'm you know i'm i could get a ticket for this yep and heck with it it's ruined my trip it's ruined my experience i don't want to do this anymore but heaven forbid i get a ticket because diehard waterfall hunters are like that yep. i mean yep. they really are yep and and you know rocco that's something i'm glad you guys brought this up because i think it was what about a third of the duck hunters existing duck hunters identified this as one of the as one of the barriers and like Cole said, we have 
I think our users have such a passion for the outdoors and the resource that just one identification is going to tear them apart. Right. And I mean, I think this is one of those opportunities that people can feel really good that for they're sure. following the law, that they're doing what they need to do. And and I think for, you know, 98, 99% of our audience, I think that's a huge selling point. Right. That, I mean, I that's I we've talked about this. I firmly believe that people want to go do the right thing. And, and this is just a way for them to do that. Yep, absolutely, Nick. That's that's a that's a great point, and and uh, yeah, and yeah. I mean, we we are seeing, um, like I, like you like you mentioned, a third of the duck hunters in our in our lead up to this current duck hunters indicated that they that they may use this option moving forward. So you know, we're going to be looking at that more intently. You know, at, at the end of this, when we're when we're analyzing the data, we're going to see you know what, for instance, how many people chose this that were that were a duck hunter. How many were new people? What was the churn? You know, how many people do this for a year or two and then decide, well, now I know my ducks, which is a great outcome, too. I mean, that's that's right. a wonderful outcome. If if somebody does this for a year or two, then is confident in their duck ID. That's honestly the best outcome. Really, you're you're, you're recruited into the, the into the duck hunter population at that point. Right. Yeah. So, you're a duck hunter. Um, yeah. And uh, so that, that's that's kind of the, the ultimate. But but there may be people that that just. Every year, would if, if this were to go operational, would say, hey, I'm happy with this, and I think that, I don't think there's anything wrong with that either. And and that was one of the things I was going to clarify. I mean, this is not a graduate program. I mean, you could hunt the three-duck license for as long as it is eligible throughout your Correct. entire duck hunting career. Correct. Right. As long as it goes operational after the experiment. Yep. Right. You talked about that, you know, this is kind of a, an experimental thing. Um, it, it couldn't have been easy to get that through. I mean, there had to have been conversations. I mean, who was all at the table? You had us in Nebraska, but you got the Fish and Wildlife Service. You got the Flyway. Um, I, I would assume maybe even some of the Canadians were in on this because, you know, the Flyway goes up there. And duck hunters are kind of set in their ways. But, you know, I think that it, it's it wouldn't be wrong to say that, you know, the, the folks that set up these flyways and set up the regulations and stuff man to bring them something new couldn't have been easy no it, it was not Th these conversations started back in either 2012 or 14 i can't i can't recall off the top of my head um we've actually brought this proposal in front of the fish and wildlife service several years um before this was ultimately approved at, with the first year being um being that that 20 that uh, 2021 2022 duck season um, so it took, it took, you know, whatever, uh, eight, nine years to, sure. to get this thing going. And, and part of it was that we were tasked with, with coming up with some, some proof that this was a barrier. And so we did, uh, flyway wide surveys. We did individual state surveys, um, that, that did show, like I said, that, yeah, for, for, for a significant amount of people, um, duck ID is a barrier to participation and, sure. you know, the, the whole purpose of this experiment is to see for, for one thing how many people will choose this when given the opportunity and and how it you know how it stacks up against trends in hunter in hunter numbers in, in neighboring states that, that aren't doing this because Nebraska and South Dakota are the only two states doing it so let for instance if we see um, hunter numbers continue to decline in in Iowa and, and Minnesota and, and Wisconsin or uh, uh, Wyoming and North Dakota let's say but we see it either stabilize or increase in the two states with the experimental. That, that's pretty powerful. Um, and we did actually the first year see some preliminary information 
indicating that we had higher uh, higher at least permit sales um, through HIP registration in our two states, which is interesting. Now, whether that holds for the entire experiment, I don't know. Um, we also are seeing a pretty significant uh, percentage of people that are doing this. You know, if, for the first year, we had about 6% of our active duck hunters choose the the two the second tier or the three duck option. Um, and we had, uh, we, and we doubled our number between years. So for instance, we had about just under 900 registered in the first year of the experiment. You know, it's it's always hard to get something going, get right. the message out, get, you know, it's, it's a it's a messaging thing, right? And uh, we doubled participation between year one and, tier, and year two. We had almost 1,800 people actually register for tier two the second year. Um, and I, I anticipate that it's going to build because, of course, you're going to have some people that do it one year and it's a one-off thing. But you're going to have enough people, I think, that do it with, um, and keep building and building. My, my my hope is that every year we see an increase in in registration and participation. Um, you know, and and when when you've only got around fourteen thousand active duck hunters in South Dakota, you know, eight hundred to eighteen hundred people is a lot. That's a that's a that's a decent um, percentage. And, and as I mentioned earlier, the attrition rate or the loss rate over the last twenty years has been roughly five hundred duck hunters a year. So if we can if we can even just make that up. Um, and it's kind right. of a stop, kind of a stop loss gap, kind of a, right. uh, that would be, um, that's a, at a minimum, what I would like to see is, is at least a leveling off. And, and if not, a a bending back up, you know, as far as increasing would be, would be the best. Um, but yeah, just as a, just as an aside, just kind of give you guys an idea of what, how many people have actually registered for this. And, and so Rocco, right now, help me because I'm starting to become Chris Hole with my years. So we've just completed the second year. We're going correct. into year three, and it's a four-year experiment, correct? It's a four-year so, experiment. Correct. So we're going to have at least, at minimum, two more years of the three-deck license. Correct. Yep, and it's available right now. So in South, so in South Dakota, how you register is through what we call our migratory bird certification. And that is the federal HIP program or the Hunter Information Program. And... We just we just have a name for it that you know the the migratory bird certification and when you when you purchase that for five dollars, you are you're immediately given the option to do tier one or tier two. Tier one is the tra traditional limit, six ducks, all the species and sex restrictions. Tier two is the three duck option, and when you choose that, you're bound to that option for the remainder of the season. So you can't change between days, you can't change between hunting trips. Um, you're you're bound to that. It's actually printed on your license, um, right. which tier that you that you chose. So uh, so, yeah, it's 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 simple. Um, it's it, it's not, a, you know, it's not a, a different price. It's not a different duration. It's not different season length. The the zones are all the same. You know, it's it's just the bag limit. And that's what right. we wanted to do is is have that as the only variable different. And, and I mean, to that point, too, Rocco, I mean, if if we're talking to a, a college kid that's going to be here in a month to enjoy the outdoor opportunities that SDSU has, and I hear class two, um, but I mean, you could have a traditional duck license hunting with a three duck license. I mean, you could take your roommate, you could take your significant other, you could right. take your younger sibling, you could take you could take your family member, and I could still have, say, a traditional license, and they could have a three duck, and we could all hunt in the same blind, right? Yep, absolutely. And actually, that to me, that that's almost a best case scenario because I think this three duck option lends itself really well to mentoring. 
um, let, let, let's say Chris wants to take a, a youth out um, and hunt, you know, not during the youth season, but hunt during the regular season. Well, you, you're kind of taking upon a certain amount of, of stress and risk on your on your own when you take somebody inexperienced out because you're responsible for them in a way. So when you, you know, and I know when I take my daughter and you know, she's done this for two years, it's very, it's just fun. You can just say, Audrey, shoot three ducks. We're going to learn them as the dog brings them back. We we're not worrying about it. And, and she is learning her ducks. And, and I wouldn't be surprised if by the, by year four, she's going to say, Hey dad, I want to shoot six ducks. And, right. but, but I mean, it, it, for her, it's really fun because she doesn't have to worry about it. And, and for, you know, like I said, I think it lends itself really well to mentoring. Um, you know, the other demographic that we've noticed is, is really increased in this. We have, we've seen a 40% increase in female participation compared to tr traditional duck licenses sold, which is a big deal. Um, you know, we've also seen, like I said, the, the first year we saw a big, uh, basically skewed toward youth under 20 or 25 and under basically right. the second year, we've seen the largest cohorts actually between 25 and 45 with a decent amount above 60. And then also a decent amount of youth. So you're seeing more kind of more and more different cohorts start to pick up on this. Um, you know, the over 60 group is the one that really has surprised me the most, uh, but it's still it's still there and it's growing, um, you know, and, and, and that's only going to increase as we have an aging boomer population, to be honest. Right. Um, so I think that's going to be a great a great option for folks that that, you know, perhaps like, like I said, they know their ducks. They've hunted ducks 30, 40, 50 years. But but darn it, I, I, it's going to be hard to tell in, in that first half hour what you're shooting anymore. Um, I'm going to be there before you know it. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, and Rocco, you even expand on that a little bit. The first time I took my daughter out duck hunting, this this option wasn't available. And, you know, sitting over her shoulder, uh, you know, okay, yep, go ahead, shoot, you know, and shot a couple ducks. And it's like, okay, now you just shot a hen mallard. Now you can't have another one. Oh, okay. And it's early season. Really, really a struggle. And we passed on some ducks that we probably could have shot at, but passed on. She liked it. The next year... First year of the three duck, took her out and said, okay, you can shoot three ducks now. Now, she shot three ducks the first trip and was kind of, eh. The next year we went out, she shot three, had a ball. Yep. You know, it was Katie bar the door. I can shoot. You know, if, if dad tells me to shoot, they're in range, I can shoot. And it was night and day on the experience, right? Because there wasn't that tension there. There wasn't that, gosh, I don't want to screw this up and have dad mad at me. Because uh, he works for Game Fish and he'll call the game warden. <laughs> yep. So it, it really is. It really is effective, and I've seen it firsthand. And also, Nick stole my joke because we're halfway there, so we're Bon Jovi right now <laughs> in this experiment. So. <laughs> so, Rocco, obviously tied to this is a lot of survey work and human dimensions work. Um. Preliminary, I, I would guess you probably only have the first year, but what are people thinking? What are people saying about this when you when you're surveying and when you're talking to them? Yeah, it's it, it, this has been one of the most interesting things that I've dealt with as far as survey work. Um, you know, one of the main things that we do is at the end of this, we survey people that did this and say, you know, how did you like it? Why did you do this? Um, and and they they are indicating that the reason they chose this is because the number one reason they chose this is because they they have trouble identifying ducks on the wing. Um, which is great. I mean, they're saying they're saying that's that was the barrier. And 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 then the you know, at the very end of the survey, we say, 
do you support the two, the three duck option or the two the two the second tier? We had eighty <laughs> percent. I mean, we can, I can't get eighty percent of anybody to agree on anything. Right. And, <laughs> and I mean, and we had eighty percent of people that that were either positive or somewhat positive or very positive. You know, like um, that that support it. And uh, and to me, that's pretty powerful. You know, and we also say, you know, will you do? Will you choose? Are you likely to do this again? And a, and a high percentage of people say, yeah, we'll do this again. And well, not only will we duck hunt, but we're going to choose the tier two option again. Sure. Um, and uh, anyway, th- th- to me, like I said, in survey work, I don't ever see that kind of no agreement. Right. <laughs> if I can get over half of duck hunters to say anything, you know, <laughs> yeah. the same, I, I, I consider that a win, right? Right. You know, we talked a little bit earlier about, you know, the messaging and getting the word out there. And I, and I think we knew it was going to be difficult. I mean, and it was even to the point where I remember getting some pushback from those traditional duck hunters. Those guys who, you know, say, by gosh, you know, duck identification is is the number one thing, you know, that duck hunters should learn. And, and if they can't follow the sex ed thing, well, then they can shoot one duck and go home. And there's a little bit of misunderstanding there. Are you hearing from those folks still saying, ah, I'm, I'm against this at all or not? Very little. Very, very little. And it, which has been honestly has been really nice. Yeah, I mean, it's a paradigm shift, right? It, folks like me have been telling people for 80 years that they have to know their ducks to be a duck hunter. Right. I mean, th- that's the bottom line. And, and you know, the, the Fish and Wildlife Service and the, the flyways, and, it, and it's been important. It's, I'm not telling, I'm not saying that's not been an important component of this, but, it, but the problem is that, you know, we manage duck populations, but we're also manage, we're trying to manage hunter populations. For sure. And, and right now the hunter population is, is more in peril than the duck populations. Yeah. So, 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 the risk, the I guess the risk versus reward is is there, you know, and and that's a really good kind of segue into some of the things that we've had to do. We're not only doing human dimensions work, we're doing bio- biological data on this as well. So we're collecting wings, we're doing harvest diaries, and we're trying to actually estimate how many extra ducks of, let's say, hen mallard or wood duck or canvasback or scop, how many extra ducks are harvested annually because we're allowing this to happen. And just and just to give you an idea, um, I've got that in front of me here somewhere. So in the first year, so what you do is you estimate how many, let's say extra scop were shot per two tiers per two hundred. Bluebill, yep. <laughs> and then you multiply that by the amount of uh, estimated hunters. Sure. And so the first year we had 46 estimated lesser scop that were that were shot because we had this option. Last year, we had increased participation. We had 277 extra scop estimated harvested. Now, you know, that's not a lot. That's not a population level impact in any way, shape or form. And, you know, the the, the only other one that we actually had any really measurable um, potential impact was was pintail. And still, I mean, we had under, so that between the years, the highest was 119 potential Northern pintail extra shot. So, um, and the other ones, we actually didn't even record an extra hen mallard, an extra canvasback, an extra redhead or wood duck. So it's not as easy, you know, it's not as easy as some people would think that, oh, I'm going to I'm going to grab this three duck option. I'm going to go shoot three cans every day or I'm going to go shoot three pintail. It, it's not that easy. Um, and I, I actually ha- there, I think there are a few people that actually choose the option. And let's say they're 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 uh, diehard diver hunters. Yeah. And 
it makes it easier for them. And I, I have had a few people tell me that, that, yeah, I chose this because I want to go shoot three, three divers. And, and to me, that's nothing wrong with that. You're, you're, you're self-restricting yourself, basically, even though you know your ducks, you're making it easier on yourself because I can go out and shoot a, a mixed bag of scop, redhead, canvasbacks, ringnecks, and, and, and I don't have to worry about it. You know, right. in Chris, like in Chris's example, he wouldn't have had to worry about it. He could have just shot the first three black and white ducks that came in and and that would have been fine. And I think that that's a niche, too. I mean, we have diver hunting. Diver hunters are a dying breed in South Dakota. Oh, and yeah. and there aren't very many diehard diver hunters left. And if this would be an option that would make it would retain a few diver hunters, um, I say, why not? I mean, we're, we're creating a better opportunity and experience for them. Uh, we're not having undue impact on the resource. Why not? Right. And, and Hole and I talked about that too. I mean, would there would would it be a recruitment tool for you know for black and white the younger hunters, new hunters out there, or would it would there be hunters like this that took advantage of this opportunity? And what I'm getting from this conversation is it's all of the above, and and I think that's what makes it you know from as not a you know in the duck hunting fraternity, and I was going to call you an elite fraternity, but I don't, I've never been in a fraternity and I don't know how to use the word elite. Um, but I mean, you, from what, from what I'm gathering, duck hunting, but from the outside looking in, it always been one of those, you need to know your ducks, you need to do this, you need to have all this stuff, you need to have this gear. And, and what I'm getting from this conversation is that's not true. I mean, you can, you can now duck hunting with this opportunity has become something that you can hunt your way and you can make it how you enjoy it and i think that's what's i think that's the biggest appeal out of this and i think that's why we're seeing such such high usage of this license that that would be my opinion as someone looking in at, in the in the duck hunting community i couldn't agree with you more nick and it's also allowing people to take advantage of our incredible public land resources you know public water hunting in south dakota is the be- is the most wide open the best in the country bar none I mean, yep. it, and uh, honestly, in some areas, it's underutilized, you know, especially, early, especially, up. especially early in mid season. Yeah. Um, and, you know, because a lot of the experienced duck hunters, they want to go out and have late season mallard hunts. They want to, you know, they want a greenhead shoot. But if you want to go out and shoot a mixed bag you at early season, mid season and, and go out and shoot some teal and some gadwall and widgeon and, and shovelers. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. And if you, like Chris said, you you go throw a dozen decoys in the water, you get a pair of waders. You don't even need a duck call. No, you don't. don't. Even need, you don't. <laughs> you don't even need a dog. And you have a, you're going to have a reasonable chance of of success uh, on right. any public water in eastern South Dakota. And um, you know that's how I started duck hunting. I had a burlap sack, literally a burlap sack full yep. of six decoys, and and I, and I didn't have a dog. I didn't have a call. And I I went out and shot lots of ducks in in high school. So. Um, it's it's a it's a great opportunity um, that people that you know and, and like I said I think in a lot of areas at least early season and mid season it's an underutilized thing. Yeah, I I was gonna bring it up and we've always kind of said it growing up where I did I was blessed to have unbelievable access to to waters everywhere and I had the same burlap sack and I had a three wheeler that the dog would sit on the back. So I was a little ahead of you, Rocco. And and, uh, (laughs) I was really close to some really good duck hunting, but you know, I bring it up and I'm going to go back to like the messaging and the rules and everything. And I like it. And it too, when we started this, I had a a good friend of mine from Minnesota who is a diehard duck hunter. I mean, he is the, you know, Filson geared 
old school. He's my age, but he's diehard duck hunter. And he called me up and he chewed me up and down because fighting against this. And, and, you know, you got to have duck ID and you got to know the rules and it's part of the game. And, and he's a golfer too. And I said, okay, I said, here's what we're up against. You and I go golfing. Enjoy the day immensely. Do you know every rule in golf? Do you know every rule in golf that there is that book, that PGA book or whatever it is? There's no way, you know, every one of those rules, but you still went out and you modified it. Had a good time. You can't kick the ball out from behind a tree. I know that, you know, if you want to ground your club in the sand this time, I don't care. But if you compare that to duck hunting, okay, you got to have all this skill and knowledge behind you. And, and really the only way to get that, oh, that, that's a, you know, a gadwell flying across is to be out there and participating. Well, if it bars you from actively participating, i.e. shooting the gun, you're just out there bird watching at some point, right? And he and I got into it. I haven't talked to the guy since. That's how mad he was about it. I should I should call him and ask him now. I mean, I still got him in my phone. But, you know, the experience is how you get those things where you can identify them. This allows you to go out and enjoy it, actively participate, not have to worry about it. You don't know have to know all the rules. Now, you got to know that you can't shoot, you know, when it's dark, dark outside and you got to shoot steel and, you know, that kind of stuff. But those are things that's an ethics thing. Yep. You know, that's a, that's those are diehard rules. And they're in there for a reason, a, you know, a very specific reason. This is just a way, just a window to let people get in and go, you know, I really do like this. You know, I'm sitting on a, a slough up in Roslyn, South, up near Roslyn, South Dakota, and there's ducks everywhere. Guess what? I get to pull the trigger. Let's go. So. Yeah, you know, in a, in a lot of ways, I think a lot of the people that we've lost in duck hunting are, are more of your casual duck hunter. We still have right. the folks that are very, very avid. Right. It's, it's distilled down, and we've lost that av- that at or that uh, less avid duck hunter. And you know that bears out in in the diary and the harvest wing collection that we're having. Basically, compared to a to a normal or you know an average duck hunter before. These folks are going out and they're shooting about a third. They're only shooting less than five ducks a season. Um, they're only going out, you know, basically four or five times a season as, right. as compared to an, a normal duck herd that might average 15, 20 ducks a season. Right. Um, so, you know, the, the, these folks aren't they're not shooting a lot of ducks. They are hopefully learning something and having a good experience. But all, and most importantly, they're supporting conservation. They're buying a duck stamp. They're buying mm-hmm. a license. They're 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 buying shells. They're buying waders. They're they're contributing to, to PR dollars. Hope maybe maybe they they're gaining an appreciation for what the wetland resources that they're hunting in. Right. You know that that's that's a big deal. That just yeah. that support for conservation is a big deal, and we're going to lose it if we don't keep continuing to recruit people into the into hunting and duck hunting specifically. And you know, Rocco, I think you bring up a great point. And and again, from my perspective, again, kind of looking outside in. I probably shouldn't do this to you. I don't think it's fair, but I think about pheasant hunting, which is so big in South Dakota, and I think about duck hunting, and I go, why Why the heck are we having all these pheasant hunters, And but we're struggling with these duck hunters? But I, when I think about it, it's so easy for Chris to take me out and say, hey, go shoot three of these big red things that are going to jump up and yell at you as they do. I mean, it's not easy for Chris to take me out and say, hey, you can, you can do two of those, but one of those. And yep. by the way, they're not yelling. And that one's a rocket ship for what it's worth. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, 
I think that's one of those things that you can be a casual pheasant hunter, you can be a casual deer hunter, but it's just tough to be a casual duck hunter. But now it's not. And I, I think that's what this conversation is getting at. It's not yep. it's not hard anymore. Right. Absolutely. Yep. You hit it right on the nail on the head. So, uh, Rocco, how do people register for this? I mean, how what's what's the process? Is there extra steps? Is there a bunch of baloney that a guy has to go through? No, yeah. So either go to one of our licensing vendors or directly to our Go Outdoors website. Uh, you would you would uh, request a migratory bird certification, and you'd of course have to have your duck, your federal duck stamp as well. But um, but you get your migratory bird certification along with your small game license. Um, and he, whenever you, you register for migratory bird certification, it asks you a number of questions like, did you duck hunt last year? How many ducks did you shoot? But the first thing it's going to ask you is, do you want tier one or tier two? And if you choose tier one, that's your kind of your normal traditional limit. That's what I choose. Um, but if you choose tier two, it's going to it's going to allow you to have that three duck option. Um, and when you answer the hip questions, that's the information then that I use to help to to uh, analyze the data at the end of this experiment, um, along with wing data and diary data. The, the HIP data is going to get us um, participation rates, uh, registration rates, um, going to get us harvest potentially some harvest information through time. Um, yeah, it'll get us demographic information. So it, it's it's very important, and you have to register for HIP to hunt migratory birds. Yeah, and that's just a standard little click survey. Did you hunt ducks? Did you hunt doves did you hunt yep. snipe it's something that everybody complains about every time they fill they fill that out and, and even i'm guilty i'm like no i wasted another fall and didn't hunt ducks you know or didn't hunt doves but it's super important because that's how these projects like this happen because yep. we're getting that information it's no different than the uh, the deer harvest surveys that we send out that folks roll their eyes out roll their eyes about and then complain that their deer population in their county is off because nobody's filling that out. But <clears throat> we do get good participation in that. Um, Rocco, talk about the, like, the, I know we did like a diary and we wanted folks to send wings in if they're picking that option too. Are we still doing that? Absolutely. Yep. So everybody that registers for the, the three duck option is going to get a packet in the mail and it's going to have a number of things. We'll have an invitation letter, it's going to have envelope to send back duck wings, which it's about that's voluntary. The duck wing is, is all voluntary, um, as well as a, har a harvest diary, which you just write down the days you hunted, the county you hunted and how many ducks you shot. That's all. That's all it is. Um, and then that all gets mailed back to me and we crunch the numbers at the end of the year. And just to give you an idea, you know, the, the first year, let's see, the first year we had. Um, Oh, what is it? We had uh, last last year we had seventy one duck hunters return three hundred and forty eight duck wings nice. to us. Nice. Um, and 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 actually, when you compare that to to the federal parts collection that happens every year, mm -hmm. um, we had, there were fifty one people in that in South Dakota that and and submitted nine hundred sixty nine. So if you if you look at at kind of a wing per hunter, we actually did very very well with our parts right. collection for tier two. Um, and, and and that and that goes toward um, hopefully getting this because uh, at the end of this we're going to be likely asking for it to go operational in the states that we've in the states that we that have done this, which is Nebraska and South Dakota, because we're we're doing a lot of legwork to get this going. And right. um, you know that this is a very intensive project. 
and at the end of this, we're hopefully going to try to go operational with that in some way, shape or form. There may be some sideboards. We don't know. But um, but and, you know, and then at, the, at that point, I would I would assume that there would be an opportunity for perhaps other states to try to jump in, uh, maybe do their own evaluation, let's say, or, or something like that. I, I don't know how that's going to look. Um, but yeah, so we had, we had harvest diaries and wings and that all goes to the more of the biological side of this, trying to see, are we having undue impact on any species or, or sex of duck? And as of now, we are not seeing any significant impact at all. Um, which is, which is good. I mean, that's, that's great, you know, and, and, uh, so yeah. And, and so Rocco, one thing that I kind of wanted to touch on here, and this is probably the best time is. Waterfowl hunting, I mean, to me, it is such a different management situation overall than what we're used to in South Dakota because we do have, we are hunting creatures that literally fly from, what, Canada to Mexico? I mean, every single year. We raise a lot of them here, though. I, I, but that's what I mean. This is, this is the, this is the species we have that we are working with Nebraska and other states and, and that what Chris was hunting is in North Dakota two weeks later. Or it's in the it's in Nebraska at a different time, right? So I mean, I think that's just what makes this so interesting interesting to me. And was there anything in particular that South Dakota and Nebraska were able to do, or are we just the ones championing? Or I mean, when we talk Central Flyway, we're talking a dozen states, ten states. Yeah, I think, I think it's eight or nine. Yeah, so it's Texas up to North Dakota. Um, okay. and and uh, but yeah, so we we were the original, I guess you'd say, champions of the of this. At the very beginning, other states were allowed to jump into the experiment if they wanted to. Okay. And Nebraska and South Dakota were the only two that still said that they were going to do it. And, but there's a lot of states watching us. Sure. Yeah, there's a lot yeah. of states seeing how is this going to work? What's the administrative burden of this? What it, is there any? What's is are there any costs? Is the juice worth the squeeze? Type type thing. And I I think it's going to be. Um. But but I think a lot of states have interest. They just uh. But, you know, but frankly, too, there are some states that don't see the need to recruit hunters. There, and, and a lot of that is because of access. You know, there are states right. down in the more the southern end of the flyway where you can't fit another duck hunter because because there just aren't places to hunt. Yeah. We are we are so fortunate in South Dakota to have not unlimited, but very high um, access, not only public, but private as well um wetlands and fields but especially wetlands i mean we have water hunting opportunities up the, up the wazoo in south dakota and and that's a scientific term by the way yeah but <laughs> and, but, and you uh, hunt wabbits near the wazoo yeah, yeah. <laughs> so i mean th- that's really what we're that's really why the two states and you know especially south dakota i at least have identified the fact that the farther north in the flyway you go the worse the ID problem gets early season because the ducks get browner. Brown. I don't care who you are. Me, I mean, I'm the state waterfall biologist, right? Opening day, you, I'm going to double take what's if it's if it's a in early light if it's a hen mallard or a gadwall. I mean, right. th- there's nobody on earth that 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 has the potential to be 100% in that situation yeah. on, on in late September in South Dakota or North Dakota. Um, now, as you go further south from the flyway, that goes away, right? Um, and interestingly enough, one of the questions that we that we put on the envelopes that the wing goes in is, what did you think? What do you think you put in that envelope? And that's not something that's on the federal survey. But so we're asking people, what do you think 
you're you shot. And and in South Dakota, especially early season, there's a lot of people that weren't sure what they shot. Right. Um, and and you don't see it in Nebraska because, well, for one thing, you don't see quite the diversity of ducks. It's not a big production state. You don't see all these hatchier gadwall and 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 uh, shovelers and mallards all m- mingling together. It's mainly a wood duck mallard type situation. So you don't have quite that um, quite that problem in Nebraska. And the further south you go, it gets better. Uh, but I, I'm telling you, early season in South Dakota, it's this is a good option for some people. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. And it, I never even thought about it like that. I mean, I we've all been, anybody who's duck hunted grew up brown duck hunting. You know, it's maybe even some mosquitoes still in, in October and, and, you know, shirt sleeve weather and it's brown duck hunting. And then you sat yep. and looked at them when the, when the flight got a little slow and you're trying to figure them out, you know, and you got your little book out and we'd, we'd look, try to figure them out. But, you know, you talked about, couple things about access in South Dakota. I was talking to Mark Norton, our, our public lands coordinator, and we were we were kind of going back and forth about public lands and we we're trying to put this kind of this snapshot together. And he goes he just looked at me with this draw, like this dry face like he has. And he goes, Well, you know, most states don't have waterfall production areas like we do. Yeah. And I just kind of went, What? And I started thinking about it. I said, well, yeah, I guess that makes sense. You know, if you're not producing waterfall, federal government isn't going to have waterfall production areas. I had no idea what a waterfall production area was until I came here. And they're like everywhere I go around SDSU. Right. I was like, what are these things? Right. Yep. And and the other thing is I've got some really good friends from down south and they're from Georgia and they're diehard, diehard duck hunters. I mean, they have a duck club. You know, they are that's what they live to do is timber hunt ducks, mallards and wood ducks and stuff. And they come up and hunt. And I was talking to, you know, pheasant hunt and I was talking to them about duck hunting and stuff. And they're bragging about how they've got these duck boats and, you know, they get these motors and they got to be light, but they got to be fast. And I was like, well, why do they have to be fast? He said, because it's a race to the hole. Yeah. So what? And he's like, yeah, you got to beat five, six other boats. You got to get up in the morning and, you know, we got a guy that we make him sleep in the boat because he never gets up on time. And I'm just kind of looking at him like, that's crazy. And he's like, dude, there's six, seven people that are that have scouted the same holes we have. And we're racing to those holes. And if you don't get one of your two holes, you turn around and go home. Yeah, that's absolutely. Or, or you have to draw for a blind. Right. A lot of no, that's the other one. If you're, right. a, lot of, a lot of the public areas in the south are, are managed very, very specifically where you come in and you have to draw for a blind. And, you, and there's a pin and there's a post out there. You have to be at that post. I mean, um, so, I mean, it's we're we're just so lucky where we're at and to have resources that we have here um, and and just that opportunity. And 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 yeah, and, and just a, a, pl- a plug here. Um, so as part of the wing collection, we are doing a drawing um, for for some gift cards to kind of help to inc- increase participation. So if you send in wings and you and wings in a diary, you're automatically enrolled in this. And we're giving away a number of, of Shields gift cards. Um, so that's just a little a little plug to help, you know, help people if they are on the fence, whether they want to participate or not. Um, it, there is there is a little bit of reward there potentially. So. And, and yeah, shout out to you, Rocco, for, for recognizing that need that we had to, to get these submitted and, and do that giveaway, too. I mean, I think. I think it's the giveaway, but it's also just people want to engage in this experiment and have this opportunity. And I think that speaks 
that speaks a ton to me. Um, I want to even go back and just really hammer this point that we talked about. Um, those folks that they, I mean, for lack of a better term, they they kind of mis-ID'd the duck, right? But, yeah. but I think this is a perfect example that that's okay. You know, what we said, if that was a traditional license, that that would have been a that would have been a issue. Right. And I, I hope Casey Jensen's not listening this to this or he is or he's proud of me. But I mean, as I took ornithology with him in advanced waterfowl management, but I mean I, I think it's I think it's okay to to be learning your ID and know that you're not gonna get it right away. You're not going to you might take a couple seasons or you might just be comfortable on this and and that's okay too. So I mean that's just kind of my plug for for people like me, just just because you're wrong, Casey's not going to put the red check next to you and things are going to be okay now, right, Rocco? That's absolutely correct. And something else that's pretty cool is that I go through all of those and I send everybody individual letters saying what they actually shot. Well, that's um, awesome. So I, I, I give them an I give them an idea. I say you here's what you here here's the wings you sent in. Here's here's what you harvested, and I, right. I send that summary back to them um every during this just just to i don't know i think it's a good it's just a good gesture um yeah that's cool that is so awesome. if they, if they got a, let's say they, get, they took a picture let's say they took a picture of their ducks and now they go well i thought it was three blooming teal it was actually a blooming teal a gadwall and a shoveler and now they can go back to the picture and go oh okay i get it now and and you know and another thing that we actually are giving people in their packet is a duck id booklet so we're giving yep. them a central a central flyway duck id booklet because we certainly are not discounting the value of IDing ducks. I mean, it, it that's a that's a valuable thing. But if it's a barrier to people, we're just trying to remove that barrier. Right. And I think again, what you just gave an example, this lends itself to mentorship, and that's what you're doing right there by sending those back. You're it is a let's learn as we go, let's have a good time, and you're going to get there. I mean, it's right. it's the I don't want to call it the minor leagues for duck hunting. That's a terrible way to put it, but it's an opportunity to have fun. And grow your skills as a duck hunter, and I think that's that's what this is for. And it sounds like it's doing it. And we I, sure I, hope so. And yeah, we sure hope so. And, and and I, I mean, the proof's in the pudding, right? We're 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 getting folks because honestly, the first year we 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 both states ordered fi enough information for 500 people, and we blew through that right away. You know, and and because we we had no idea. We, no, I mean, this has never been done before, and and now we're up to what I say, just under 1,800 registrants from last year. I have enough uh, materials, I believe, for 2,500 going into this season, which if we blow through that, I'm going to be a happy clam. Um, right, yeah. well, I guess we'll see. You know, uh, you know, water conditions are, are improved from last year. Um, we don't have duck numbers yet from the May survey, but there are certainly areas in the state that duck hunting uh, opportunity is going to be much better. You know, that north central part of the state, east of Mobridge, down to Miller, uh, over toward Aberdeen, that's wet. Yeah, we're in good we're in good shape there. The Northeast is holding its own. Um, I, I've heard of really good production up in the Northeast. You know, we, I, we're we're drying down. Uh, you get south of 14, things are drying up a little bit. You know, you get you know south of Brookings down to Sioux Falls, over to Mitchell, um, things are are drying down. But my, my hope is that we get some good late summer, fall and fall rain to maybe re, reinvigorate some of those wetlands. But but even if we don't, we're in a much better spot last this year than we, than we were last year going For into sure. duck season. For sure. Rocco, what do you think about – this just popped into my head. We're talking about duck ID and, and, and everything, and I go back to my, my kid and maybe even your kid. You know, those first-time hunters, you know, 
they want the experience of hunting and maybe even these new hunters and stuff, maybe they don't even care what species that is. They just want to actively participate in duck hunting and harvest some ducks and stay within the law. I mean, that's okay too, really. I mean, there's, I, I just think of a lot of people where at least initially I want to go hunt and I want to be successful and, oh man, you shot a pintail, a mallard and a, and a widgeon. And initially those folks are going to go, oh, okay. Yep. So, you know, but it takes that mentorship to go, wow, you know, man, that pintail's got a really nice sprig on it, a really nice pin on it. That's really cool. Or, you know, this greenhead mallard, people come and fight for spots to hunt these greenhead mallards. This is a really good duck, but that's us portraying our, our duck hunting elitism, if you will, <laughs> that says a mallard is better than any other duck. Um for the most part, man, it's that grin and grab picture for new hunters. You know, it's that sun coming up, you know, beautiful day, holding some ducks. Maybe they're on a rock with the dog and stuff. That's what it's all about. And if we can get them to care about, okay, these, you know, these species, and, and if you want to go on, this is what you've got to know. But for a lot of new hunters, man, they just want to go out and, you know, even, you know, just like youth deer hunting, it's a doe. Yep. Biggest trophy deer my daughter ever shot was her first doe, right? She shot bucks since then, but man, that doe I would I would I wouldn't trade that for the world. It's those first experiences and getting them into it and getting them hopefully to identify as a duck hunter ultimately. Absolutely, you know what's going to hook them it, it isn't isn't pulling the trigger on their on their first duck. It's it's the sunrise. It's it's the it's the wind. You know, wings ripping through the air. Right. It's the wetlands. It's the dog work. It's the social aspect. You know, and and. If you can, if you can allow people to try it and get hooked on all that, right? You, pe people naturally want to improve. I mean, right. when you, whenever you do anything, people naturally want to improve and excel, right? Um, so I, I think that a, a good portion of folks will get there and want to right. identify their ducks. But if they don't, like Chris said, as long as we're not hurting anything biologically, who cares? Right. Um, you know, we're we're increasing participation. We're we're increasing awareness of wetland value and and prairie value and and uh i mean if we can get kids out, out of the house and we can get even adults out of the house um and out on the landscape and enjoying nature that's the biggest goal here yeah and and i mean i've said the same two and three points this entire podcast because i so firmly believe them but i mean to chris's point too i i compare this to fishing your first couple fish you don't know what they are. You don't care what they are. They might be a bluegill. They might be a crappie. They're circular. You know, right. they might be a perch. It doesn't matter. You're out having fun. And right. then you get to that identification. And, you know, especially if you are you can catch and release, it's a little harder to catch and release ducks. Um, they, we'll maybe get there at some point. We're going to talk about that in a little bit. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I mean, it's just one of those things that being able to get out, learn as you go, enjoy all the other aspects of, of hunting, too. I think you guys are just nailing it on the head. Rocco, what are we hearing? And I'm putting you on the spot here, and, and you can say pass. I don't know, but what are we hearing from the folks in Nebraska? So, real similar. Um, so, so they they've had very similar participation rates. Um, they they have higher number of people that are registering because their so their hip registration is free. Ours is five dollars, which I honestly think is a is a good thing for us because it kind of it kind of weeds out folks that had no intention of participating at all. 
Um, so it's cheap, but it's not free. Um, so you, and, but also Nebraska has a much higher population base than we do. Sure. So they've got a, you know, a few million people down there um, to draw from. But yeah, they're seeing very similar participation rates, very similar harvest numbers, no impact on biology, um, similar, uh, very similar support from the public, from the participants. Um, we're walking hand in hand with Nebraska and we're seeing very similar things, very similar themes. Cool. Um, yeah. Cool. What haven't we touched on? What are we missing as a communications guy talking to the preeminent waterfall biologist? You know, I, th I think we've hit most of the main points here um, cool. as far as as far as the two tier experiment goes. We've got two more years. And like I said, at the end, we will be asking the Fish and Wildlife Service, what, what is the path forward to going operational? Um, and how does that and how does that dovetail with other states? You know, that, cool. that's going to be the main that's going to be the main conversation we have to have is how. How and if this expands past the two experimental states, and how we and how we are allowed to to do it moving forward, whether sure. or not it'll be for let's say whether or not it'll be for everybody, or it'll be for youth and over sixty, or it'll be or there'll be a there's a potential for let's say a graduation requirement where you can do it for two oh, years. Right you know, I mean that those are all things that were brought up in the lead up to this, and we wanted it to be as simple as possible, and yeah. I still want it to be as simple as possible. I don't want any of those sideboards, but. But if we can get if we can get this operational in in some fashion, I will consider it a win. Sure. So, just uh, we're going to move on to another something because Rocco's going to get uh, he's going to start getting busy here in the next month. But you want to go duck hunting in South Dakota? You want to pick the three duck or you know the two tier or the uh, one tier traditional? You need your migratory bird certificate. That's the hip stamp. That's the yep. thing. The five dollars. You go in, go in to go outdoors, South Dakota. You need your small game stamp, that yep. migratory bird cert. You're going to have to fill out. I didn't shoot coots. I didn't shoot sandhill cranes. I shot yep. three ducks, whatever. And then you need the federal duck stamp. You can get all that stuff right on go outdoors. I think there's even a waterfall or package. If you don't have a license, you can click on that and it'll get you there. So that's, I mean, it's about as simple as it can get. Really? Yeah, we're, so, we're now an e-stamp state, so you can actually get your your federal stamp uh, virtually right right through us. And then what happens is you get a you get an endorsement basically on your license, and and then a, uh, then the license is or the stamp is mailed to you. Yeah, you know, after a couple of weeks, basically. That that's really clutch, that man, because I remember scrambling, you know, two days before the season up in Siston trying to get to the post office or somewhere to find that federal duck stamp and. There was more than one year where we had to drive to Watertown to get them because I put stuff off. But yep, no, that's an issue for sure. Yeah, cool. Rocco, talking about getting in your busy season, we're talking about catching and releasing ducks. <laughs> uh, Rocco, obviously, is our senior waterfall biologist, is key in duck banding, and we got duck banding season coming up. When Rocco, you know, we'll probably do our first shoot uh, the third third week in August, maybe. And I will tell you, Nick, that I've done some cool stuff in, in game fishing parts of my career. I've got to go to Alberta to bring back bighorn sheep. I've been to Colorado to do mountain goats, been to Montana for bighorn sheep. I watched a, a guy from New Zealand tackle a bull elk one time um, and jump out of a helicopter to do it. Um, but I got to go along probably eight or nine years ago with Rocco and Grova John, and I think Spencer was there. We're up in Northeast South Dakota, and to ban ducks 
is one of the coolest things we do. <laughs> Rocco, talk about that. Talk about the process and, and why. Yeah, absolutely. So in South Dakota, we there's a few different ways folks can capture ducks for banding. The you know, like I mentioned my master's degree, those were all what's called swim-in traps. So there are these wire traps that are placed in shallow water and baited. And they're used a lot up in Canada. We used to use them a lot in South Dakota. They catch it down here, they catch a lot of blueing teal, which isn't really a target of what we're trying to ban. So we we use what's called a rocket net. So it's a baited, <laughs> it's a baited line on a on a body of water with a rocket propelled net that's ready to go. And somebody is sitting in a blind, generally uh, Mark Rovajan, sitting in a blind with binoculars, watching the birds come up to the bait. And you hit a detonator basically and, and ignites all, all the rockets simultaneously. They're like, they're like big metal bottle rockets. And they shoot the net over the top of the ducks and trap them on the land there. And you, could, you can you know, easily have a couple hundred ducks you know, under that net. And, and what we have is we usually have five or six rocket net sites that are that are prepped for the for the beginning of the banding season. Then we just kind of rotate around um, for about a month. So we'll start in mid to late August, and we'll go till usually mid September. Um, generally in the northeast and north central part of the state. Yeah. And as far as you know, as far as the you know the process, so you the, the birds are captured under the net. We 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 basically get them out from under the net, put them in catch boxes. Um, there's a there's a carousel it's called that has all the different bands for the different species of ducks, um, and we have we have them all marked and, and ready to go. Uh, the ducks are sexed, ID'd, and banded, um, and aged, and and then that information goes into a lot of things. It can go into survival models. It goes, of course, into movement because you you know where are the ducks where are the ducks getting produced? Where are they getting harvested? That's pretty basic stuff, but it's important, right? And and then uh, generally survival harvest rate information. Um, things like that, which all go into management of of ducks, and and or, and we we do this also for other migratory birds. We just wrapped up morning dove banding, for instance. Uh, mm -hmm. We ban morning doves, and that goes into a uh, actually a Lincoln estimate, which is the way that the population is estimated for morning doves. Uh, it's an indirect population estimate by by actual harvest rate. We also ban Canada geese. We banded uh, just under seventeen hundred Canada geese in about over about a, three weeks in eastern South Dakota this year. Um, that generally goes toward uh, survival and harvest rate information as well and, and movement as well. But, you know, the, basically the birds that we produce here generally winter anywhere from Nebraska to Kansas. Uh, in a real cold year, we'll get some Oklahoma returns, which we did last year. But um, so the movements aren't, aren't quite as big, you know, but um, certainly we want to know harvest rate and survival. So, so Rocco, I'm a, I'm a new duck hunter here. This band, it's basically a, a ring, right? I mean, I don't have much experience with rings or buying them or anything like that. Yeah, but but you've caught banded fish. Well, but I'm saying what I'm looking right. for here, I'm looking for just a little metal metal ring, essentially. And then, I mean, what do I do? What do I do if I get a duck that has one of these yep. bands? How so do I have an aluminum, aluminum band on the leg, whether it's a goose, a morning dove, or a duck. And uh, it'll have a web address on it. And you, you, you can go around on your phone, type that web address, and it'll ask you a couple questions as far as where you shot it, like what's the closest town, you know, things like that. And you'll instantly get a, uh, a certificate emailed to you. And it'll, it'll talk, it'll say where the duck was banded, how old was it? Um, so you'll know where the origin of that duck and a little bit about that duck and, and what, or that bird and what its life has been. I mean, it could have been banded the day before, it could have been banded 15 years ago. Um, you know, we, we have recoveries 
it, it is interesting seeing recoveries come in from old bands and things like that. And, and uh, uh, but yeah, it's it's all really critical information, and, and it, it's it's fun for the hunter to see where that where that bird's been and what it's done. So, all right, Rocco, again, new duck hunter here. Fifteen years. I mean, how how old does a duck live? I mean, what what sort of what sort of age range are we looking at here? You know, a, a, a wild duck could easily live ten to. I mean, we have goose we have goose recoveries that are twenty years old. Um, some sometimes, you know, uh, in the you know in the wild, if, you know, barring something happening to a duck, you know, it, it can live a long time. You know, I, I you know I don't know about the average age of a mallard, let's say out there, but um, you know, a, a five year old mallard isn't incredibly old. You know, it's right. it's. Uh, uh, now a five-year-old morning dove—that'd be an old morning dove. You know, like <laughs> a, a dove, you know, a dove, a, a dove on average probably lives less than two years. Sure. Um, kind, kind of like a pheasant, right? Um, but but uh, and a goose, geese can live twenty-five years. No, you know, it, it, you know, in captivity for sure. I mean, we but we we've had recoveries um, in my career. So I, so two thousand ten till now, we've I, I've seen recoveries come in from restoration birds in the eighties. You know, in the ninety or the late eighties to early, you know, in the mid nineties. Right. Um. So, uh, there's still a few of them. And probably very few now, but, uh, but back like let's say in 2010, we still had some restoration efforts going on in the late nineties, and we were start we were still seeing some of those recoveries coming in. Cool. So when Hole does tell me that that Canada goose has been at the state fair for yeah. 25 years, I should actually believe him. Those, those birds have been there. Their legs are like <laughs> thick. They look like a tree. <laughs> first, first of all, Rocco's a fairly calm dude, and he understates stuff. The whole rocket netting and and that process turns into mass chaos. Like Spencer Vaugh was. I don't know, 70 years old, and I watched that guy. He would have won the 100-yard dash in the, in the Olympics. When that rocket net goes off, it's chaos because you got to get down there and try to, you know, secure the net and make sure these birds aren't, you know, harming themselves and they're tangled in the net. And you've got 150 ducks, and they're all mad. And it is awesome. It's, one of, it's watching those rockets go off and then sprinting down there and taking ducks out of the net is one of the coolest things I've ever done. The second duck I ever took out of the net slapped me in the face and flew away, and Mark Grovajohn was going to drown me. He was so mad. I'm like, dude, there's 200 ducks here. Who cares? And he's like, that's one I needed the band on. <laughs> but it, it's so cool. And and the other thing is, Nick, first of all, if you shoot a banded duck or goose, the first thing you do is celebrate. You're showing it to everybody and saying, I shot this because everybody's going to go, no, I think I shot at that one too, even if you were the only one to shoot. And then the other thing I was going to say is um, when I moved to Pier, you know, 26 years ago, about third year I was here, uh, I was working one of my coworkers at Tourism. They owned a place right off, right below the tail race, and they had a bluff there, and they had a couple pits, and they were just holes that they dug on top of these bluffs. Well, we talked to these folks. They're like, if we make that blind better, can we use it? Can we use it for a couple of years? And they're like, absolutely. So Adam Spies from Watertown and I went down there, and, and I think we had a couple other people with us. Lee Harstead was another one, and we made a pit, made a really good pit. And uh, back then, the 1804 store was in, was running, and we would go in there and, you know, talk to them, talk to them. And we got them convinced that they would call us when the ducks started or when the geese started flying when they were awake. And for about a six or seven week period, those geese were moving about noon. 
So we would yeah. literally, they would call and we'd go, let's go. And we would throw on our gear and we'd run, you know, drive out six miles, talk about being spoiled, run down there, jump in the pit. Didn't always get shots, but you always saw a ton of birds. And my buddy Adam Spies shot a little cackler, little goose, you know, little, little Canadian goose. And you had to walk way down. I mean, it's 100 yards straight down to get, get your birds. And he brought that bird up and he had a grin on his face and that thing was banded. And that band was so old that we literally had to get a microscope to look and got all the stuff out of it. And back then you had to send it in and wait, wait to get back. He got it back. That bird was banded in the Northwest Territories 21 years before that. Yep. I mean, you know, like a little three, four pound goose, you know, looks like a big duck. And he's got it mounted. And that was one of the coolest, like, I'll never forget it. I was so jealous. (laughs) Yep. But it, it it really has turned into you know folks that's a, that's a trophy and yep. and and it should be and but if you shoot them God, turn them in you know yep. Rocco Imagine those the miles guys are that spent, put on yeah no kidding but Rocco and the and the and his crew has spent a ton of time I mean you, when he's saying a line of bait it's a thing of corn yep. that's fifty yards long and these nets are huge it's so awesome and I'm I'm so jealous I need to get out there and and do a do a story about it and, and actually film it because uh, that's one of the coolest things we do. And, the, you know, the goose, he's talking about the goose banding. They're banding geese when they can't fly, right, Rocco? Correct, yeah. So and basically you kind of yep. you kind of herd them across the slough and you get them kind of going into a little funnel and then they get into yep. a spot. And I've never done that because I don't feel like getting beat up by a can of <laughs> goose. We definitely <laughs> put you in the pen, Chris. <laughs> you know, I mean, I'll get in. Now there. he I'm has not, to come. I'm not scared, but uh, I'll get in there. But yeah, he, like I said, that that first duck slapped me in the face and flew away. I can't imagine what a goose. It won't even fly away. I'll just turn around and beat you up. So. I see. This is why I'm scared to do these activities with Bull because he's making me come to these commission meetings now to carry this giant sound system. On. In the fair. So now he's gonna send me in the pit, and that's yes. gonna be. You know, mm-hmm. Nick versus all the creatures. <laughs> Strap a GoPro on you and get you in there. Well, Rocco, this has been awesome. Um, you know, this this two-tier thing, I know this is, you've done yeoman's work on it, and it's kind of been your baby, and I, I'm glad to see that it's it's working like you thought it would. I knew you are a smart dude, but, you know, to, to kind of get those results and start start going and going, God, you know, this could fly. Um, that's good. Good for you, and we appreciate your time, bud. Hey, thanks a lot, Chris. Yeah, no, just excited to see how this plays out. And, and uh, if you guys, if anybody, you know, listening has any desire to try duck hunting, I highly encourage them to use the three duck option. I mean, it's it's there. It's it's easy. Um, just give it a whirl. And, and take someone new, too. I mean, this is the best way to mentor. This is the best way to get new duck hunters out there or, or even just maybe someone that wasn't going to be able to enjoy duck hunting this year because uh, because of their vision. I mean, maybe this is a way that they can get out there and get some extra seasons under their belt, too. Right so, I mean, this is this is just absolutely awesome. I'm so glad to hear it's going well. I We got two more years of it for sure, and the more excitement we have about this, the more good info we get on it, the more likely we are to have this opportunity again in the future, too. Right That's absolutely correct. Cool. Rocco Morano, South Dakota Senior Wildlife Biologist. Thanks for your time, brother. Hey, thanks, Chris. Thanks, Nick.